Good afternoon, everybody. How are you doing? Love Talk Radio. think we could possibly ever address is, is the death of a child and how parents have to endure the subsequent experiences they have at the, at, at the recognition that their child is never going to return. And to be quite honest with you, between the experience of a child dying and the years that follow to recover from such, and recovery is actually not an accurate word, um, the experience of always wishing that your child would come back, would resurrect, would be able to enter into the room, would come back and, and say, hi, mom, or give you a hug, or all the memories, or all the hopes that an individual has about being able to passage through the anniversary experiences that one anticipates. Well, for example, much of the country in the United States has gone through some sort of graduation with a child, whether it's a, a cousin, a nephew, a, um, a niece, a, ch- a daughter, a son, a brother, a sister, someone likely has graduated that's fairly close to you and graduating from whatever school, elementary, middle school, high school, college. And so as a consequence, that becomes an anniversary time. And I decided to do this show very specifically because a friend of mine many, many years ago had their child returning from graduate night, graduate night out in Disneyland who live in the Los Angeles area and they spent the whole night out having a fantastic time with their peers, just so excited about having gotten through those four grueling years of high school and application to college and the future lying ahead. And the child was driving home, the son was driving home, and uh, fell asleep at the steering wheel and crashed the car and, and died. And my friends have had to deal with that in the subsequent decades uh, that they've lost their son, they will not see their son's children their son's wedding, their son's graduation from college. They just do not have that individual in their mind. And it's huge. It's, it's a huge, huge, depressing bereavement process that parents have to go through when they have lost their children. Now, I can't talk about the parents that I've worked with who have had to undergo go such horrible, awful strain because of privacy and confidentiality. I would not break what people say to me. So I'm not going to be speaking about any of that. I'm only going to be speaking about people outside my private practice as well as what the research has to offer. And take a look at this. Within this year, 12,000 children will be diagnosed with cancer and and many of them will die. At least 25% of them will die. 7.6 million children before the age of five will die this year. And much of that, it's said that 75% of that's preventable. Of course, that's throughout the whole entire planet. 75% of them are preventable because it's related to illnesses or just some living condition that they just don't have the money to be able to keep their child alive. Those parents will have bereavement. How many children die in car accidents after they get their license or when their friends are driving them? And that, of course, is one reason why we have so many changes in our driver's license laws these days. And parents will have to endure the death of their child due to car accidents. 
due to drinking, drugs, um, due to uh, uh, natural causes, earthquakes, storms, disasters that we've been seeing all over the planet in the last few weeks have taken children's lives and left the parents to mourn as a consequence. And then, of course, since I work so much with soldiers and soldiers' families, how many soldiers have died so that their parents have to endure the loss of their child? And only for what reason? For the, some cause, national cause. But really, is that a good enough reason? Is there ever a good enough reason to lose a child? To lose a child to an accident, illness, a natural disaster, suicide, or war? Well, I'm not sure there's ever a good enough reason for a child to outlive their um, parent to outlive their child. In, in some respects, it seems actually quite unnatural to think that a child would die before a parent. And yet, it, it happens in many, many cases. So the statistics are extremely high that a parent will lose a child, whether to before the child's even born, stillbirth, or a breach of, of the birth process that causes complications, or um, in, in vitro, where there is uh, a loss of the child before the child is even born. But then how about those many parents that have to go through it when their child is still young, still very dependent on them? There are lots of phases that parents go through in a desperate process of trying to survive the loss of a child and move on, the first of which is, of course, the denial that it's actually happened. And they do continue to feel like the child should just walk in the door that's means some awful, horrible nightmare that they hope to wake up from. And then every day, the pain, every day, every night, the pain of the life. And this is not a horrible nightmare. It is a daymare. It is a life disaster that their child had died. Secondly, parents also, also have to overcome feeling not only grief stricken but guilty. We, we live our lives as good parents taking care of our child, making sure that our children are safe and their well-being is taken care of in that regard. And then when a child is dead, there's that same feeling of, oh, my gosh, it was my responsibility. And in some cases, it might be. And that is the worst type of guilt possible. But in other cases, even when the parent has no control over the natural disaster or an illness or an accident or uh, or a child that decides to go and become a soldier and dies in, in battle. Even the parent has no control over it. You're still, if only I had, if only I had done this, if only I had done that, my child would still be here, my child would still be around. Maybe I didn't do enough of this, maybe I didn't do enough of that. The guilt is definitely part of the process a parent has to go through. Now, when a child dies, it is equivalent to a serious clinical depression that parents go through. The bereavement process is filled with such retching grief, uh, it's such retching pain, loss, a sense that things are so wrong about what's occurring um, that that is hard to describe and not something I would wish on anyone. I remember when I first became a parent, psychologist Katina Kastulis uh, whom actually has done an interview with me in another show and is archived here, uh, talked about how once you become a parent, your very existence is vulnerable each and every day because whatever happens to that child happens to yourself. The power of empathic identification of a parent with a child is in part what drives a parent to take such good care of a child. 
Sometimes the parent might be a helicopter parent or a hovering parent. It doesn't matter. Sometimes the parent may be even hands-off. The hands-off parent still full of love and enjoyment of a child's progression through life will suddenly be rankled by the experience of not being able to see a child progressing through life. So deep grief, deep guilt, a sense of only if I had done this, that or the other, a chronic sense that the child should walk in through the door, I'm missing out on all the years and years of future looking for all the anniversaries that the parent might be able to have anticipated. These are nightmares. These are the horrific nightmares and daymares that parents have to go through. And imagine a parent going out in an ordinary existence of life and with friends or neighbors or even in grocery stores seeing parents interface with other children and being reminded yet again, over and over again, multiple times in a second, in an hour, that their child is gone and they're not going to be ever experiencing what it is those other people are experiencing. I do have to say that it is my experience with individuals like her um, that they cannot stand the thought that anybody, that anybody would take for granted time they could have with their children and that anybody would be upset with a child and all those little nitty-gritty details um, because they would do anything to have those nitty-gritty, annoying moments back with their child. Well, Pamela Yunt, author of a book called Rhythmatic, had to face how she was going to recover from parenting uh, a, a child that died of AIDS and what it meant to her to face her own inadequacies, her own lack of responsiveness to her child, uh, the meaning, the guilt, and then how she was going to become wiser as a consequence uh, of this. And that is yet another stage that many parents have to find reason to move on, the meaning of life to move on, what it's all about. When there are other children in the family, that still is the question. Other children need attention and need love and need to sense that they're important and meaningful enough for a parent to remain very full of life and active, but nonetheless, even to do that is quite difficult. So I have interviewed Pamela Young at a conference that I went to in March where I did radio interviews with many. And I'd like you to overhear the entire interview process with Pamela Young, even the cheerful greeting, because I want you to experience her, her personality post the death of her child to AIDS. And then we will return for more discussion, more of your comments or call-ins, and some beautiful music by Colton Walker that will inspire us to move on, even though we have these horrible things woven into our lives. Here's my interview with Pamela Young. And ladies and gentlemen, someone else coming here. Her name is Pamela. Pamela, I do not know you, so this is going to be like so exciting to get to know you. And her last name is Yaunt. Y-O-U-N-T, if I said that right, Pamela. Yes, you have. All right. What a beautiful person that is, ladies Thank and gentlemen. She has, she has brought with her what's called Rhythmatic. My theory about finding the wise old one in you, my goodness, the older I get, the older I get. The I don't know if you it's get. wise or old. <laughs> She's going to convince us that this is a good thing, folks. Pamela, first, tell us how people can get in touch with you so they know right off of that what your contact is. Okay, they can... Uh, Find me on Facebook. I like uh, that accent. Uh, I'm from North Carolina. Oh, nice. <laughs> uh, they can find me at whismatic.com. 
Wonderful. And uh, they can order a phone number they can contact you with if they're in your area? Yes, they can call me at uh, 828-962-4336. And what is your region? What's your city, your town? Hickory, North Carolina. North Carolina, beautiful. Between Charlotte and Boone and Asheville. It's in that uh, foothills area. I'm sorry, that's one of the greenest, beautiful, oh, humid, but gorgeous part of the planet here. So tell me about Wismatic Pam and what Pam Yaunt, am I saying it right? Pam, yes. Pamela Yaunt. Tell me about Wismatic. What is this about? Wismatic is a theory about finding the wise old one in you. Mm. Um, I had a son uh, to cross over with AIDS in 1994. And um, through the experience, it changed my life. I started looking at things with a a different perspective, uh, started uh, getting a deeper understanding about the mechanics of life and what makes us uh, grow in our uh, beings. Uh, what I seen was that I was being been out of touch with reality into totality, into all the gifts of the mm -hmm. Spirit, mm. and was able to find a different part of me that I didn't know existed. Mm. So it changed my whole perception about how I looked at other people, how I um, judged other people, well, how easy trap to fall into. Yeah, how I labeled everything. And those things that I didn't want to look at in myself or I feared, I tried to distance myself from them by putting certain labels or uh, uh, anything I feared. I wanted to uh, separate myself from, uh, and it changed me to a compassionate person that loved people unconditionally and gave them empowered them to be all they could be in their life, to show up and be that person that they wanted to see coming at them, not uh, to uh, judge where they were coming from or why they were the way they were, just to give them uh, the empowerment to to show me who they were. You know? wow. So this, this is a very sad thing to have stimulated something so powerfully and loving yeah. in you. Recovery has got to be a chronic day-by-day -day process. Well, You're the thing like that ch that I saw in all of this is that my son paid a big price yeah. to change our perception about what life was and how we looked at things and how we allowed our social uh, concepts to come forth uh, from others and make uh, in, uh, implants in our minds about how we looked at people and um, and how we judged how why things happen. You know, it just changed me, and um, and I felt like uh, I was told many times that I needed to put this on paper because I would give people something to compare with their 
situations uh, when they were going through these changes, and everybody has changes in their life, death sometimes doesn't mean that uh, somebody's dying. It means a death of a dream, a death of a, uh, a goal, a death of um, uh, a person that you love that just walks out of your life. Um, a significant loss. A, a significant loss. loss that cannot be retrieved. Right. But after I started changing, I started noticing the miracles that was taking place in my life. Seriously? Can miracles. you give us an example? Well, I have a, another son, and he had, uh, he had a massive heart attack. Um, and he was at the right place at the right time. He was where he could get help. He had um, doctor, the, the right doctor was in the emergency room to see someone else and uh, was right there or he would have died. He died 40 times and they brought him back to life. They hit him with a cardiac paddle 40 times. Yeah. And so um, the doctor that did the work on him, he worked so hard that sweat was running all the way down to his pants. And he didn't stop. He just did not stop. And so he told my son, that he was a miracle man. No one had ever lived through anything like this. But I spoke that to my son that had crossed over, and I said, go find all the healers on this side and the other side. We're in big trouble. We need your help. So that doctor didn't stop. He did not stop. And he went, he rode with him from one hospital to another in the ambulance, pumping his heart all the way. And later... I learned this doctor's name. His name was Dr. Looney. And I said, in the South we have this saying, only a loony would do that, you know? But I was glad there was a loony. Yeah, he was there that day to save my son. So that's just one of the miracles. And that my book talks about all these and the many challenges that I overcame uh, to get where I am. And it's... Uh, Everybody, this is called Wismatic, W-I-S-M-A-T-I-C, and I'll have a picture of this up on the website, so you'll be able to check into that as well when you're looking at the archive report. And um, thank you, Pamela, so much for sharing the story. I know there's more to your story. A lot more. Yes, a lot more. So please do read the book. Contact her and give her once again. Give us once again your contact information, and then we'll... It is uh, Wismatic, www whismatic.com or you can call me at 828-962-4336. Thank you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that is uh, difficult. I'm sorry, the audio on that is a little bit difficult because we're sitting in the middle of a very active conference and it deals with all sorts of different uh, life issues and Kelly Yacht allowed me to capture her so I could let you hear her story. Now, what is interesting about the way Pamela dealt with it is that she experienced that her child would reach out of the the afterlife 
and assist with other people's lives. Uh, and, and that was her way of maintaining connection. And whether you believe in that or not, there are many stories exactly like that that you can attain, you can read about online, you can see them on YouTube about how parents really do experience their child afterward uh, and maintain that sense of connection either through psychics and psychic connections or through actual seeing uh, ghostly apparitions of their child. And these stories are very common. In fact, if you have a friend who has gone through this experience, chances are they will not tell you about these moments, but they will have experienced them. And you will have a high probability of that. And if you have the sensitivity and the authenticity to ask them genuinely, uh, if they have seen visitations from their child since death, you might have some extremely moving uh, experiences in listening to these stories. But that aside, it's still full of grief. It is certainly easier for those parents who have had those type of visitations, whether you believe they're authentic or not, whether you believe in life after death or not. They have a sense of the parents saying, I know, I know they still exist. They're still present, they're still aware, they're still conscious, they're just not with me. Often that'll take the sting away to some degree, and they have a reason to move on. Pamela Yant moved on in her life, and that was one of the ways she did it, is that she found the connection with her son afterwards. She also found a way to be wiser and more productive and more functional. Um, a friend of mine here had lost a child due to traumatic illness has taken those particular um, experiences to campaign for the well-being of other individuals that might possibly also be suffering. And um, that is uh, that is one way to do it, is to become involved in how to press on. Pamela Yant, for example, could have joined the many parents who have had their children die to AIDS and be able to walk that cause uh, confidently, that it would have a tremendous impact on other parents as well. Well, let's take a moment to listen to Courtney Walker. Uh, Courtney Walker is a country-western singer. He has composed a beautiful tune called The Weaver, and it basically talks about how, um, how grief is woven into the fabric of our lives and events we cannot control are woven into the fabric of our lives and we have got to be ready to respond to the degree that we do not have control over every variable that walks into our life. And you know I'm a big believer that we have a lot of control and we need to take charge and we need to make our lives happen the way we want and envision them to do. But there are those times when events happen that are horrible that we do not have active control over because we are interfacing with the world where there are things outside of our control. And how do you deal with those things that are woven into our lives and are full of grief? And Courtney Walker has dealt with tremendous grief in his life, a loss of a, a very loved individual whom I knew as well, a beautiful, beautiful human being. I'll let, you, let him tell his story to you one day, hopefully soon. But I want you to be inspired as he talks about how he copes, how he sings about, how he copes things woven into his lives that were not wanted. And for him, he reaches out in faith and also realizes that when we go into the Christian faith, that Christ himself lost his life and his mother had to deal with that. So contemplate 
severity, the broad nature of these titles, mournful circumstances. Courtney Walker and the Weaver. Thank you, Courtney Walker, for sharing that with us. Um, we're going to take the next little bit here to just help the parents because you've gone through a lot. And if you've 
tuned into this particular show, then it means you've reached out for help. And thank goodness that you have, because there's no way to walk through all of this on your own. Oh, please, goodness, no. And many people do find a lot of comfort in their types of faith. And to be quite honest with you, that is a very um, common and authentically, the research is really clear that, yes, reaching out into faith tends to help people cope with horrible disasters more than any other um, intervention. So, again, whether or not you believe in such things or not is not as relevant uh, as those people who find themselves cursing and yelling and screaming at God at the very same time pleading for help to bear the burden. In addition to being able to join those groups of people the, the grief and bereavement classes and groups that are available to you don't have to be. Don't feel like it's an act of pride. Don't feel like it is an act of, of weakness to be able to reach out to other people, but instead feel like it is an act of courage where you purposely say to yourself, you know what, I want assistance in coping with this. This is too big. It's huge. It's enormous to have lost a child. In addition to it being absolutely enormous and grief-stricken, something that you need some other people to help you with, I also know that there are people that just simply cannot understand guns. And therefore, as a consequence, you don't reach out because you don't want to have to live with listening to other people say platitudes or fake uh, resonance. Uh, people cannot understand what you're going through. And, and dealing with that sense of loneliness and complete... Uh, um, isolation and what you're going through is again part of the process you need to break through in joining those people who have gone through it and even then if you go through those people those groups or those study groups or those online chats or whatever where people have they're going to go through it differently than you have your recovery time the way you recover the way you approach it how you have to deal with the loss of your child is going to be your own particular journey and venture that is not a pleasant one and it is nonetheless your process and the process that you go through is going to be your process. And here, let me give you vision for what might be your future and your goal. One, you will never lose your love of your child. Two, you will never forget who your child is and what your child has meant to you. Three, you will always remember those times where you wish that your child were there for Thanksgiving and Christmas and birthdays, Mother's Day, Father's Day, um, having just gone through Father's Day. It, before this show, it, you, you will remember that there were those times that you wish your child were there. In fact, every day you'll be reminded that your child's missing. If you have other people, loved ones, your spouse, children that are dependent on you, also for emotional support, do not forget that they need you there and that the sharing of the grief and not the isolation of you from your grief or you from their grief is important to be able to cry together, laugh together, cheer together, extremely important. But now what do you do with the guilt? Well, first, if you were responsible or you put something you could have done, see if you can do it for someone now that's still living. Learn from this experience and become wiser, such as Pamela Young was talking about. Uh, put your lesson into action and mobilize being able to be a better person now if you were uh, at somehow flawed for what happened. And if you were not really flawed, there was genuinely nothing you can do. You have to live with the experience of giving yourself or being imperfect and not powerful enough to protect your child everything. And your child is, after all, only there for us to succeed in helping, but not necessarily to 
be able to control every variable in your child's life. Your child was, after all, born to their own independent existence. And you played a major part in, in their opportunity to do so. Um, next, you know, I, I really do think that um, individuals that go to well-known, well-substantiated psychics or spiritual guides, I, I really have over and over since get a tremendous amount of relief from having those sorts of interfaces. And I don't know many psychologists would actually recommend that because it would be taken as very odd. But since I have seen that be so curative people being able to move on, I do suggest we do that as well. Now, in moving on in your own life, there's going to be those times you want to laugh, you want to go off and be productive and proactive and be successful and go on with what goes on in, you, in, in your existence as a human being. And the truth is your child would want that for you, a child that loves you and wants you to move forward. If that child is looking out of heaven itself and looking down at you and says, hey, Mom, Dad, move forward, move on, that's, that's exactly, you know that what they would want for you. Um, but what I do find is that parents often feel like they're not allowed to give themselves such a beautiful experience with moving on with life because they still may, need to maintain their grief. Because their grief is still a very big part of them. But as they move on, they realize it is a part of life. It's woven into your life and your life still moves on. And as strange as it seems, there will be times when you want to laugh and love and succeed and progress and be focused on something so very different than the child. And that will be just fine. But it is something you have to adjust to in your own sense of things. Well, this is Dr. Carol Francis. I'm a clinical psychologist. I've been working with parents in bereavement for 32 years. It's never easy. It's never easy. But it is a part of many parents' lives. I hope it's not a part of every parent's life or all that goes on in your life. But for those of you tuned in, we grieve with you, we are grieved for you and with you as well, and we want to make sure that you know that we are there as you move on in your life without your child. The best of care and time. Dr. Carol Francis from Torrance, California, signing off.